Katie Books Productions presents Lenny Gray, an audio drama written, produced, and narrated by Earl Sewell. Previously on Lenny Gray, there was absolute quiet, but Curly could see and hear John perfectly. Water was cascading off of John's black hat, and his eyes were as red as always. Placing Willie in Curly's arms, John said, I got him. Pulled him out of the water. Ain't his time just yet. Thank you. Leaning forward, John, the one-armed grave digger, purposely spoke in Curly's ear. Your boy was born in the sixth month on the sixth day at 6 p.m under a full moon that was blood red. It's a bad sign and means many things, but mostly he's gonna spend a lot of time going through hell. Confused and angered by what John said, Curly took a few steps back from him. Curly wanted to hit the man, but he couldn't because Willie was in his arms and he had Bud on his shoulders, pulling his hair and holding on for dear life. John's words were like an affection, swirling around in Curly's head, and he couldn't get them out. John's voice seemed to be hitting every corner of Curly's mind. Yelling out loud, Curly asked, uh, What did you just say to me? He blinked his eyes several times so that he could see John, but he was gone. Then... It was as if his ears became unclogged because he heard sound again. You got him, Curly? Lenny Gray asked, rushing up to him. John's voice disappeared out of Curly's mind. Speaking sluggishly and clumsily, Curly said, Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, I got him. Nineteen thirty. Lenny Gray missed Tangie, who died along with her unborn baby in the flood of 1927. John, the one-armed gravedigger, found her body once the rain stopped and buried her along with Miss Lucy and others. How John survived and all of that flooding baffled Tom, Ida, Curly, Lenny, and everyone else. People on the Bettis plantation didn't understand why he had not drowned in water that was deep enough to swallow entire homes. After the flood, President Calvin Coolidge set up tent cities and sent medical assistance to provide shelter for white families and to help them fight off the disease that followed. Black folks had to make it through the difficult time on their own. A lot of black folks died from the disease that followed, which kept John busy digging one grave after another. 
It was months before people were able to come back and rebuild. Black folks had to use the same water-soaked and rotted wood to rebuild their shanties. In October of 1929, the stock market crashed and for the first time, white folks fell into dearth. Mr. Bettis lost a lot of his wealth and asked every one of his sharecroppers to stick around until things got better. He told them that they would have to get by as best as they could until then. Curly and Lenny Gray didn't think much of it because they had always lived in poverty and didn't notice much of a difference. However, for those who had fallen from their lives of privilege and abundance, life placed heavy weights on their shoulders. Many who were not used to standing in soup lines or begging for food fell into deep despair. The people of the Bettis Plantation lived with one foot on solid ground and the other dangling dangerously over a plot in the ground. The hardship of existing in a society that forced them to conform to scarcity and lack was difficult. During the Depression, Lenny Gray's private dream of moving to a place like Harlem died. She had more pressing concerns. One of the biggest was keeping Curly from attacking her. Even with his crippled hand, Curly could still leave bruises and bloody lips. His aggression towards her came from his lack of self-worth and learned self-helplessness. He projected all of his rage and frustration onto Lenny Gray whenever the mood hit him. Then, once he realized he'd wounded the woman he loved, he'd cry, drink, and have sex to numb out so that he would not have to own his deplorable actions. Lenny Gray began to think about her boys, Bud and Willie. When Bud was five years old, he almost died because he caught rheumatic fever. A year later, Bud was injured when the family mule got spooked and tossed him off the back of the wagon. His head hit the ground so violently that it split it open, all the way down to his skull. A jagged scar stretched from his left eyebrow and up his forehead. After the head injury, Bud was never the same. He spoke louder than necessary and suffered with the same stammer that Curly had. By the time Bud reached the second grade, he dropped out of school because he had trouble understanding and preferred to work out in the field with his father and grandfather. Willie, who was now 11 years old and a year older than Bud, was very thin and couldn't see well. He made it to the third grade before he had to spend all of his time out in the field helping Curly and Bud. Willie often complained that school was too hard because he was always so hungry. At least working in the fields, he could find shades of red clay to chew on, especially the ones that had a salty taste to help him minimize his hunger pains. Lenny Gray and Mary, who had just turned 12 and recently started her monthly cycle, were sitting on the front porch of their poorly rebuilt shanty. Lenny Gray glanced at Mary and gazed in awe at how quickly she'd grown up. Mary was tall like Curly and had lanky arms and legs. Her hair was sandy brown and her breasts were just starting to bud. When Mary had her first cycle, she came to Lenny Gray believing that she had somehow cut herself. You ain't cut yourself, child. Your time done just come. Confused, Mary asked, What time? Thinking of the best way to explain it, Lenny Gray paused. She thought about when her time had come and how her stepmother got mad at her and 
told her not to bother her. She had to go to Tangie May's mother, who told her that her time had come and gave her a piece of cloth to place between her legs. It just means your time done come. It's going to come every month from now on. Will it ever stop? Mary asked. When your belly gets full, it'll stop thin. What does that mean? Mary asked. Just what I said. When your belly gets full, it'll stop for a while. Well, it ain't gonna never stop because my belly ain't never full. I'm always hungry, Mary said. Lenny Gray sighed. She wished that she could say more. She wished that she knew more. She only noticed that her cycle stopped whenever she was carrying a new baby, but wasn't exactly sure why. She only knew that when her belly was full, it stopped. Lenny Gray knew it wouldn't be long before men would start looking at Mary differently. In the back of her mind, though, Lenny Gray knew that when she fully blossomed, she was at risk of her virtue being taken by force, like Tangie Mays had. Mary was smart and enjoyed going to school even though it was difficult to allow her to go because the family needed her help out in the field, especially since Curly couldn't pick as much cotton because of his crippled hand. Bud and Willie helped, but the family needed all of the assistance they could get, especially in times like these. But child, when white folks get a cold, Negroes get pneumonia, Lenny Gray thought. Mary was the lucky one because she had made it to the eighth grade and looked forward to going to high school. However, Lenny Gray knew that the family couldn't afford to keep her in school. Mary's dream had to die for survival's sake. Lenny Gray was waiting for the right time to tell Mary the disappointing news. For now, though, Lenny Gray was sitting on a stool next to Mary, passing the time by showing her how to sew a quilt for the chilly Mississippi nights. She knew that Mary hated having to huddle close to her brothers on the floor to keep warm at night. Looks like your nature didn't start happening to you up top, Lenny Gray said, paying attention to Mary's chest. Feeling self-conscious and awkward, Mary shrank. I hope not. Oh, that ain't nothing to be worried about. Happens to all women. I ain't worried. I just ain't in no rush to be grown today. What do you mean by that? Some days I just want to be a little girl, and other days I want to be a full-grown lady, Mary said. Don't be around rushing your age. Try to stay as young for as long as you can. Things happen to girls who grew up too fast, Lenny Gray said. I'm about to go to high school, first in the family to go. My teachers say I'm the best student she done had. I read and write good, and the teachers said that going to high school is important. But ain't no high school around here. Teachers say I got to go all the way to Greenwood, which is over 20 miles away. I'm going to have to get up real early to get there on time, Mary said. Getting food in your belly is more important right now, child. Lenny Gray's voice was anguished. I know, Mama, but I don't eat much. Shoot, ain't enough food around here to feed a mosquito. But I don't say nothing, Mary responded. Lenny Gray looked at her daughter shamefully, lowered her eyes, and curled the corners of her lips downward. 
Clearing her throat, Lenny Gray said, Your daddy done left it to me to tell you this. Tell me what? I ain't done nothing for him to be cross with me. Mary looked at her mother and noticed a deep line had formed across her forehead. Mary could sense that something wasn't right and began to feel anxiety swimming in her belly. I know, child. Lenny Gray tried to loosen the knot that had formed in her throat. You know how hard things is. White folks done caught a cold and, well, Negroes done caught pneumonia. That's done made it harder on us. The depression? Mary pondered whether or not she had caught the meaning of what her mother was trying to say. Yeah, that. That thing that's done made it a little difficult to feed all you children. And with this new baby that's starting to grow inside of me, it's going to be even harder. So, your daddy done decided it's time for you to stop schooling and come out in the field and work. How he figure that? He got Bud and Willie helping him. Mary unapologetically raised her voice. That ain't got nothing to do with the way things is. Times is hard, child. <sighs> when and if this here baby come, that's another mouth to feed. My body can hardly take care of this baby. You know how many I done lost over these years. I lost count after the last baby died. It's so hard trying to feed myself and stay strong enough to carry a baby inside my body. I've been eating chalk and dirt to curve my hunger pain so you children and your daddy can eat what little we got. I'm the one who needs to be eating more. Now, you done got the most schooling out of anybody in the family. Schooling ain't gonna help us survive. We got to eat, Mary. And as I get further along with this baby, I'm gonna need your help. And there won't be no time for no schooling. I don't want to be in the field. Maybe my teacher could give me a job and I could help out that way. Mary's voice quaked and Lenny Gray felt the energy transfer of her pain. To distract her mind from the prickle of her emotions, she reached into her apron pocket and removed a handful of red dirt that she had gotten from the side of the road. While she ate it, Mary started to cry. Don't sit here and start crying. Schooling ain't nothing to cry over. Lenny Gray regretted saying the words the moment they passed through her lips. Deep inside, she heard her younger self whispering. It reminded her of how she had argued with her father about going to school when she was a little girl. Lenny Gray worked hard to lasso it and push it deep inside of her. Taking a slow and hard swallow, she said, This is just the way things is right now. Once things get a little better, maybe you can go back to school and finish your schooling. I don't want to wait, Mama. The words were too much for Mary to bear because she knew it was highly unlikely that she'd ever get a chance to go back to school if she stopped. It really ain't meant for you to be in high school. Ain't nobody around here got children going to high school. Maybe one day when things get better and you are older, you will have children of your own. And you can send them to high school. Then they can teach you all that they learned. No matter how much Lenny Gray tried to soften the blow, she knew it wouldn't ease the ache in Mary's heart or hers. Lenny Gray smeared away a tear that had begun to form in the corner of her eye before it dripped down her cheek. Lenny Gray was in as much pain as Mary was, but was unwilling to share the burden of carrying such a heavy, 
and disappointing load. I want to go to school. I don't want to work in the field. Mary's quiet sniffles grew into soft moans. Stop that crying. Ain't going to do you no good. You need to grow some thicker skin, child. This world we live in ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It ain't nothing we can do about it. Besides, being in school ain't going to amount to nothing around here. You ain't going to go from shit to sugar around here just because you went to high school. Lenny Gray had a hard time recognizing her own voice and how icy and empty it was. Naively, Mary said, I can't help it. I could have gotten a job at Mr. Bettis' store. He likes our family. He knows we good people. Child, you're getting beside yourself. That's not the natural order of things. You need to get that out of your head before someone beats it out of you. That man ain't gonna let no colored gal run his store. You need to get your head out the clouds, Mary. The best you can hope for for Mr. Bettis is to be his house girl, and that comes with a whole lot of trouble that you don't know nothing about. Then why am I in school if I can't do nothing with my learning except work in the field? Mary asked. Silence fell around them, and the words hung in the air like a strong stench from rotting trash. I don't feel like sewing no more. Late that evening, when everyone was asleep, Lenny Gray lay awake struggling with hunger pains. To her, living in Mississippi was impossible. It was like trying to hold water in the palm of her hand. It was impossible to earn money, let alone save any. Every penny had to be accounted for. No matter how hard her family worked in the field, when harvest time arrived, they discovered they had not picked enough cotton to cover the debt that was owed to Mr. Bettis for food and clothing they had borrowed against, not to mention a doctor's bill for Curly's crippled hand. Lenny Gray couldn't get all of the random and obsessive thoughts running through her mind to settle down. She repositioned herself and noticed that Bud was sleeping with his hands resting on his sister's chest. Mary, in her sleep, moved his hand and turned over. She then stirred in her sleep once more before getting up to use the night bucket. Mary? Lenny whispered. Huh? Mary answered sleepily. When you're done, come sleep next to me. Okay. Mary mumbled. When she was done, she came over and snuggled up against Lenny Gray's back. Once Lenny Gray was certain that she had gone back to sleep, she shook Curly's shoulder. Curly, you sleep? She whispered. Lenny Gray knew that he was, but she wanted to wake him. Curly! Uh, what? Curly sat straight up. He heard a sound coming from outside. Shit! Uh, the clan is here again! Uh, tell the kids to go hide! No, I ain't heard nothing outside. Your mind is running away with you, Lenny Gray said. Settling his nerves and laying back down, Curly asked, oh, What's wrong? Can't sleep. Why? Is, is something wrong with the baby? No, Curly. I know that you're doing the best that you can, but why don't we leave this place? And don't hit me for asking. Lenny, how many times we can't go through this? The answer is because we can't. We gotta keep making do. Besides, 
Mr. Bettis says against city law to leave and steal over plantation owner. He say that he have people put in jail if they try to leave and steal over him. We can't go nowhere, Lenny. We parked here for life, Curly said grimly. Besides, it's dumb to think about leaving. We ain't got no money and no place to go. If we leave here, what we gonna sleep? Outside on the ground? What are we gonna eat? We barely got enough food now. We ain't got nothing, Lenny, but the clothes on our back. All we got is that field out there. All we got is back breaking work and each other. It ain't like it was in Alabama here. This life is all the world can give us. Ain't much a man like me can do about that. I can't make no plans for nothing, cause ain't nothing to make plans for. This is just the way life treats people like us. You can't fight life, Lenny. You're crazy if you try. You got a roof over your head and you got a place to lay down. If we go around trying to get besides ourselves, we just gonna get ourselves killed. That's the way things is, and that's enough for me. Should be enough for you, too. But people are leaving here all the time, Curly. They going north. Lenny Gray pointed out. It was true. People were escaping in the middle of the night with nothing but the clothes on their backs and a mind filled with hope. You don't know what happened to people that done left. They probably dead. People come up missing all the time around here. Don't mean they went north. It could mean that they got killed and their bodies in a grave someplace. Hell, John the one-armed grave digger ain't never out of work around these parts. I don't like it when you talk about people being killed, Curly. It makes me feel that something's going to happen to our children. Lenny Gray repositioned herself once again, this time turning her back to him. She pulled Mary close to her and wondered what she could do to get her mind to stop imagining what life would be like in another part of the country. The following evening at sunset, Lenny Gray saw Curly, Bud, and Willie coming down the road. When they got close enough, Bud and Willie raced each other to the porch. Bud was slightly taller than Willie, but not by much. When they arrived at the porch step, Willie said, We didn't see the dead body, Ma! Willie wiped sweat from his forehead with the front part of his shirt. Show, show, show dead! Bud's words clumsily exited his mouth the same way Curly stammered did whenever he got upset. What are y'all talking about? Lenny Gray asked with wide eyes and a shaky voice. The, the, the man was dead, Bud repeated what Willie said. Bud screamed when he saw the dead man. Willie pointed his finger at his brother. Feeling his throat tighten as if a rope were around his neck, Bud fretfully told what he saw. His, 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 his neck was like this here. Bud turned his neck to an awkward position, and his eyeball was like this here. Flies was all around him, too, and he stank, 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 real stank, real bad. Y'all weren't afraid? Mary asked, feeling anxiety, as if she saw the body with her own eyes. Yeah, a little bit, Willie admitted. Curly, what's all this talk about dead bodies? Lenny Gray asked as he walked up, looking worried. Curly wiped away beads of sweat with a rag he had removed from the rear pocket of his overalls, 
The clan to kill somebody, I guess, Curly said, looking shaken by what he'd saw. Mary, Bud, Willie, y'all go inside, Lenny Gray said fretfully. Neither of them obeyed their mother. Body look like it's been dead for a while, Lenny, said Curl. John, one-armed grave diggers, on his way over there now to get the body and bury it. I'm glad, glad, glad Dad didn't told us how, how, how not to get caught, Bud said, tripping over his words. Clan ain't never gonna catch me because I'm, dumb, I'm, I'm, I'm dumb, too, too quick and too, 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 too smart. Grandpa and Daddy didn't show us how to stay away from trouble with white folks, Willie chimed in all knowingly. Don't, 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 don't look white, white people in, 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 in the eyes. Bud began to repeat the code of conduct. If you see a white person coming, move out of the way, Willie continued. They beat him first, then they hung him. Looked like the tree branch broke and the body fell to the ground. Curly tried his best not to sound too concerned, but Lenny Gray had come to know the tone of his voice when he was afraid, even though he didn't like to admit to feeling that way. Curly squatted down and drew the letter W in the dirt. Remember, boys, when you see this letter here, anywhere, it means that it ain't no place for color folks. Curly, we got children. Anything could happen if we stay here. Lenny Gray began pacing anxiously. Lenny Gray's mind created a horrible narrative that ran in a loop and would not turn off. She had not seen the body, but was traumatized knowing that her children had. They'll be fine, Lenny, as long as they do like I'm telling them. Ain't nothing gonna happen. Curly tried to reassure her. We should move up north, Mary said. When the words hit Curly's ears, he felt as if he had been hit from behind. Uh, you, you session me, girl? Curly's cavalier mood changed from dark to pitch black in a heartbeat. I ain't sassing nobody. Who done told you about moving up north? His tone had shifted and was now loaded with hostility. I read it in the newspapers that the teacher bought with her from up north. The papers say that black folks got it better in New York and Detroit. They got jobs, better living conditions, and folks ain't being killed over nothing up there. We ain't going north. Curly's voice boomed and Mary flinched with fear. Bud and Willie quietly backed away and out of his grasp. They all knew that Curly had a temper and he wouldn't think twice about grabbing a switch and beating what he called good sense into them. Once, he beat Willie for asking him for shoes that fit. When Bud first began to stammer, Curly thought he was making fun of him and beat him until he was nearly unconscious. Whenever he beat his children, he would find a place to sit and cry about what he'd just done and find someone with some moonshine so that he could drink and forget about the injustice his children had suffered at his hand. You sound just like your mama. You act like my hard work in the field ain't good enough for you. Is that what all that schooling done taught you? That I don't take care of my family? That what I do ain't good enough? Huh? Is that what they teaching you? Curly wailed angrily and moved towards Mary. Instantly becoming overwhelmed with ghastly emotion, Mary said, no, Daddy. Lenny, you need to beat her. This girl got too much goddamn spirit. If she got the nerve to be sassing me with that mouth of hers, she's going to mess up and sass the wrong somebody. And that wrong somebody is going to be white folks. This girl is going to get herself killed. 
She done got too much schooling, Lenny, and she is spot rotten. Curly, Lenny Gray whispered his name in an effort to calm his unbridled frustration. You listen to me good. Curly ignored Lenny Gray and continued to antagonize Mary. We ain't ever going up north. Too many people up there and they tell lies. Ain't no safe place in this world for black folks. Mr. Better said that the field is the best place for black people and I know that to be the truth. That's all I think about is field work and how to make more money doing that. The North ain't no better than it is where we at. Mr. Bettiston told me all about how folks up North come down here tricking black people with all those fancy talking tall tales. He done told me a lot of peoples ain't never made it up North. He done seen them dead because they bought trouble on their shelf. He said he went to New York one time and he saw all the black people on the street begging for money and sleeping in boxes. He said when they found out that he was a good quality man, they started begging him to come back so they could do field work for him. And he said to him, I got enough good niggers. And that's what we is, good niggers. We don't think about nothing. We don't do nothing. And we ain't never going to try to do nothing more than we allowed to do. That ain't what I read, Daddy. Mary found the courage to challenge Curly's belief, which she did not share. Who do you think you talking to? Who do you think is telling you the real truth? That lying-ass teacher with a bunch of letters on a piece of paper that lie? Or me? Curly met his daughter's gaze with a stern and unyielding glare that dared her to say another word. She knew that if she had... Curly would be on her faster than flies on shit. Mary dropped her eyes and looked at the ground, defeated. You see that, Lenny? That's what schooling done for. It's got her trying to rise up against me. Curly, she didn't mean it like that. Lenny Gray spoke up for Mary. I know exactly what she meant. She be thinking that I was dumb and I don't know nothing. But if it wasn't for me, if it wasn't for me, she'd be dead. I'm the one who protects us. I'm the one who keeps trouble away. Curly thumped his chest mightily several times. Curly, that's enough. She don't know no better. She ain't lived like we done lived. She ain't seen the things we done seen. She's still a baby learning her way. Lenny Gray said as tenderly as she could. Well, she better start learning quicker. Curly snarled. I'm sorry, Daddy. Mary was in tears. She walked over to him, smashed her face against his chest, and wrapped her arms around him. Curly was not expecting that type of reaction and didn't know what to do. Mary's strong and submissive hug felt like a mule had just kicked him in his gut. He looked at Lenny Gray, then his sons, and then down at Mary, who was holding on to him. What, 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 what's wrong with you, girl? Turn me loose. Curly pulled her away from him. You, you making a fool of yourself carrying on this way. Curly looked into his daughter's sad brown eyes and felt something break. He didn't want to know what broke. All he wanted was to not to deal with the transference of ache that Mary had just shared with him. I gotta get a drink. Curly announced as he got Mary to release him. Then he turned on his heel and walked away. Boys, go with your daddy. Make sure nothing happens to him. 
Lenny Gray shooed them away. I, 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 I don't want to go. Bud trembled nervously. When he get to drinking that, 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 that moonshine, he gets, he gets real crazy. Willie? Lenny Gray looked at the braver of the tooth. All right, he said, and ran to catch up with his father. This is Earl Sewell, author, creator, and narrator of the audio drama podcast, Lenny Gray. I wanted to stop in to say thank you to the listeners of the show. This show has been listened to in a number of countries, and I wanted to take a moment to acknowledge the people in the following countries for listening to this podcast. And here they are in no particular order. China, the U.S., Hong Kong, Russia, Colombia, South America, Argentina, South America, Australia, Finland, Hungary, Germany, France, Ireland, England, the Philippines, Bulgaria, Italy, Canada, Nigeria, and South Africa. I don't know who you are, but I do know that you're tuning into the show weekly or bi-weekly uh, for that matter. I know that you're tuning into this podcast bi-weekly, and I wanted to give you a personal thank you. I really, really appreciate that. Um, I really appreciate you for taking the time to listen to my creativity. Also, please feel free to share a link to this podcast on all of your social media websites and recommend it to friends. The second thing, if you want a little bit more about the Lenny Gray uh, podcast, I have a Facebook group that you can go and join. It's called Lenny Gray Audio Drama Podcast. It's a Facebook group. It's free to join. You can go over there and you can get some behind the scenes stuff about the podcast and a little bit more about me. I hope you will take the time to join me in that group. And the last thing that I want to share with you. Lenny Gray is just one of about 25 novels I've written. Lenny Gray is one that I turned into a podcast. I have a number of other works. Another one of my works is called Keisha's Drama. It's book one in an eight-book series, and it's a young adult series. So for those of you who have young adult readers and you want to give them some really good reading, then try out Keisha's Drama. What is about to follow is an excerpt from that novel. I hope you enjoy it. Oh, and by the way, you can download Keisha's Drama wherever books are sold via Amazon, via uh, Barnes & Noble, or Books A Million. I hope you enjoy this excerpt from Keisha's Drama. I 
I'm really not the type of girl who likes to get caught up in a lot of drama. But sometimes I feel like drama is closer to me than my own shadow. And sometimes situations become explosive, like an earth-shattering thunderclap that comes with strong spring storm. I know that's a messed up way to think about my life, but it's true. I just saw my so-called boyfriend Ronnie at the movie theater with his arm around a girl from school. There I was at a movie by my damn self because he told me that he couldn't hang out because he had to study for a chemistry exam. He was working on chemistry, but not the type that was in a book. He didn't even see me in the darkness of that movie theater. He sat two rows in front of me. He started whispering in her ear as he fed her his nachos. When I saw him do that, I lost my cool. I jumped up out of my seat, took the lid off my slushy, walked down the steps toward them and said, you need something to help drink with that? And threw my drink on him. Then the messed up part is the fact that I had to hustle up on the money to even go to the movie theater by braiding hair for some badass kids. And not only is the Ronnie situation messed up, my whole life is messed up. And I just don't know what to do.